0: Okay, 3, two, one. oh my goodness, good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler, this is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Today is Wednesday, September 18th, although if I am honest, it's late in the day for me, so you probably will not hear this until Thursday, September 19th. And uh, I just want to say, it's good to be back. I am so excited to be doing strong opinion sports right now. I love my show and I'm glad to be here. Uh, We have a gigantic episode today. We're going to talk about the Miami Dolphins. I think they're tanking. We'll talk about the New England Patriots. We will talk about Drew Brees and Ben Roethlisberger, their injuries. We're going to talk about Lamar Jackson, Gardner Minshew. We'll talk about Dak Prescott. We'll even end the show with Ask Zach. I do want to be very, very clear. Um, I'm not going to be able to get to everything. There's a... A bunch of stuff I missed out on in the last month. And so the stuff I don't talk about today, just be wary. I'm recording another show on Friday. I got a lot of stuff planned. I'm really excited. If you feel like I left something out, comment below or send me a message on whatever platform you want. And no, I will talk about it on Friday. I just, I didn't want to make a five hour show. I I want to make a concise show with a couple things I care about. And we'll talk about the other stuff on Friday. Oh my gosh. The biggest spider I've ever seen is crawling across my, that's Horrifying! It just scared me so. I don't. I don't like that at all. I do not. Not a spider guy. Thank God, my little four eleven girlfriend is the one who kills spiders in our relationship. Um ooh, I it threw me off. Uh I, I do want to also be. You know, I'm going to talk about why I'm here doing the show. I'm going to touch on it briefly, and that will be it for now. I. I, I you know, I. I don't even want to. I want to just talk about the thing that surprised me the most in the entire NFL. I just. I'm sure this shocked you when it happened. It shocked me when it happened. Um, Andrew Luck retired. I I could not believe it. Um, When it happened, I was away. I was not making content at the time. Um, Actually, my college football team was away at the beach on a retreat, and our coaches had taken away our cell phones. So when I was told Andrew Luck retired, I didn't have my phone. I didn't have a way of verifying the information so I thought it was a practical joke I, I just didn't believe it I was like no way Andrew Luck wouldn't retire you know <laughs> that's unbelievable he's 30 years old he's in the prime of his career last year in season 2018 was one of his best years of his entire career At 4,593 yards 39 touchdowns a 67% completion percentage he won NFL comeback player of the year no way Andrew Luck retired and he did he did retire In fact, you know, for me, I was gearing up for the Colts to have, in my opinion, the Colts were gearing up for a run at a Super Bowl. I I thought, man, they put together this incredible team. Andrew Luck is back. He's healthy. They got a head coach. I liked it all. And Andrew Luck walked away. Now, Andrew Luck made his decision. And we can argue whether it was right or it was wrong. You know, personally, it was right for him. And that's enough for me. He made the decision he made. For him, it was right. I I don't need to hear more about it. Um, You know, I have no doubt it was a very difficult decision that he wrestled with for a long time. Now, he's a millionaire. That's good for him. But Andrew Luck made his decision. So instead, I want to focus on his team, the Indianapolis Colts. Because in some way, I feel so bad for the Colts. I do. Uh, They built an incredible football team. And then they lost their centerpiece, their quarterback. It's like building an incredible house on a lake. You know, a beautiful lakefront property. Great house. And then the lake dries up. <laughs> and you're like, man, we're left with a great house, I guess. But no matter how wonderful the house is, it will not be the same without the lake. The cold starting quarterback is now Jacoby Brissett, a former New England Patriots backup, he's played well. I like him. He got a contract extension. He can win some games. I'll be honest. Jacoby Brissett, if you're going to have a guy be your guy, especially in this scenario, he's about one of the best guys you could possibly ask for to step up and be the Colts quarterback. But without Andrew Luck, the Colts went from fighting for a Super Bowl to simply fighting for a playoff spot. It just will not be the same. I look ahead at their schedule and there are two games I'm really, really excited to watch coming up for the Indianapolis Colts week five against the Kansas city chiefs in Kansas city and week 15, the Colts against the saints in new Orleans. And by then drew Brees will be back. My question is, can Jacoby Brissett go on the road against a great quarterback and a great team and win? I don't think he can. I, you know, I, I don't think Jacoby Rissette can go into Kansas City and win. I don't think he can go into New Orleans and beat the Saints, beat Drew Brees at home. It doesn't happen. And furthermore, I don't think he can go into New England and beat Tom Brady, which I think is something he would likely have to do in the playoffs. That's where my confidence level has gone for the Colts. They're still a good team. They're not terrible, but now I don't believe they can beat Tom Brady. Now I don't believe they can beat Patrick Mahomes. The Colts, in my opinion, are a very good football team that will not go as far as they could because of Andrew Luck's retirement. Now here's the sad lesson in all of this. I hope other teams pay attention. Maybe the Texans better, you know, pay attention. The Seahawks, for example, could take notes from what I'm about to say. The Colts brought this on themselves. It's sad, but it's true early in Andrew Luck's career. They did not provide him with a good offensive line. Now, in 2017, the Colts made a great move. They hired Chris Ballard to be their general manager. Chris Ballard has done a fantastic, fantastic job. He's drafted well. He built a great team. He got Andrew Luck on offensive line. Ballard did everything he could. And the sad reality is, is that it was just too little, too late. You know, September 27, 2015, Andrew Luck had a sprained shoulder. Later that year, November 8, 2015, he had a lacerated kidney, a lacerated kidney. Internal injuries from hits he took. 2015, sprained shoulder, lacerated kidney. Later that year, 2016, September 1st, he had a frayed labrum on the right side. I have... I don't really fully understand what a frayed labrum means or what that is, but I do know that's his throwing shoulder. That's really bad for a quarterback. When I hear throwing shoulder, labrum, frayed, not good. And by the way, with a frayed labrum, he played 15 games that year. The only game he missed was because of a concussion because he got hit really hard. Now, January 19, 2017 is when he had shoulder surgery. He didn't play at all that year. He did miss the entire 2017 season. And at one point, he was told not to throw a football for a couple months. Now, finally, in 2018, he came back. He was comeback player of the year. He was fantastic. But this preseason, he got hurt again, and he just walked away. So now I am done dealing with injuries. It's depressing. It's hard. I don't want to do it. And can anybody blame him? Like I I get if you... Criticize him, but the Colts did not do a good job early in his career taking care of their quarterback, keeping him safe from getting hit. And I feel sad for the Colts. They learned a hard lesson. The lesson is it's really important to have a good offensive line. I'm not asking for you to have a team full of Hall of Famers. But you got to give your guy a fighting chance. I hope other NFL teams learn from this. Do not squander the career of a great quarterback by not providing him with a capable offensive line. Again, don't need Hall of Famers, but you need to give the guy, the keyword is a fighting chance. Capable. A capable offensive line. For years, uh, for a period of time, Andrew Luck had the worst offensive line in football. And it's finally come back to cost the Colts. It's sad. They have a great team. And and Jacoby Brissett is a fine quarterback. But the ceiling got lowered because Andrew Luck is gone. And that's sad. And that's hard. Now, now by the way, in football, there's a weird thing people call running backs and wide receivers. We call them skill positions because they're the fast guys with quote-unquote skills. And I think that's wrong. I would actually change that. I think offensive linemen should be called the skill positions because they deserve more respect. They deserve more love. They deserve that respect. Again, they are the lifeblood of a football team. Nobody really talks about them. Nobody seems to pay attention to them. But without an offensive line, you can't do much. No matter how great your quarterback is, if he's on his back the entire game, it doesn't matter. We need to start giving offensive lines more respect and valuing them more because... Not having one cost Andrew Luck a career. And I would hate to see that happen to other quarterbacks. Maybe Deshaun Watson with the Texans. Maybe Russell Wilson with the Seahawks. Do not squander a great quarterback's career by not giving him a capable offensive line. It's very, very sad. Okay, I want to shift gears. Uh, Strong Opinion Sports is back. And I know all kinds of people have so many questions. My Instagram comments are... Getting insane. People are like, what happened to your college football season? I understand. Um, I want to I make two statements. Look, I, I love my teammates very, very much. And my head coach, I love him. He's a great man, a great head coach. I hope they have a great season. There are a lot of rumors. I want to be very clear. I want to end the rumors. Um, I did not get cut. My girlfriend is not pregnant. I did not get in trouble. Nothing bad happened. Nothing like that. Um I chose to walk away from the situation I was in. I know everybody wants answers. And I am personally I'm not ready to talk about it. It's very painful. And I just maybe I'll talk about it someday. For now, I'm I'm not really willing to and don't I don't want to talk about it. It's it, again, it's painful. And uh I am very excited to do strong opinion sports. I love this show very much. Um, It's something I've built that I'm very proud of. I worked really hard. I fought really hard to build this. And, uh, you know, man, I I just, I've worked so hard for strong opinion sports. I'm excited to be back. And uh, that's, that's all I want to say for now. That's, that's all I got. So, uh, can we talk about the Miami Dolphins though? Because I, I, I watched the Miami Dolphins and I, I cannot seem to understand what's going on in Miami. Actually, that's not true. I do have a theory to me. To me, it's very clear what's going on with the Miami Dolphins. They're not trying to win football games. I've never seen anything like it. They're tanking, which is something, again, I believed. I did not believe NFL teams actually tanked. You heard rumors all the preseason the Dolphins are tanking and they're not trying to win. I finally believe it. I do. All right. Now, there's all these narratives about the Miami Dolphins. Are they giving Josh Rosen what he needs to succeed? Why are they doing this? Why are they doing that? It's all a bunch of nonsense. All these narratives make sense when you go, yeah, you know, I don't think they're trying to win football games. I I think they are trying to get really high draft picks and do as bad as they possibly can. The first thing that made me realize this was they traded away their incredible young left tackle, Laramie Tunsil. Traded away Laramie Tunsil and receiver Kenny Stills for two first round draft picks. A second round draft pick and some change. And I, man, I was like, what? All all right. I mean, I guess that's a good haul because you get draft picks, but I mean, a, a young left tackle, a talented left tackle like Laramie Tunsil, that is not easy to come by. I was surprised. And then the Dolphins traded away Minka Fitzpatrick to the Steelers for a first round pick. Now I get it, Minka Fitzpatrick wanted out, but another first round pick. So now in totality, in the 2020 NFL draft, the, the Dolphins have three picks in the first round and two picks in the second round. And the next year in the 2021 NFL draft, you have two more picks in the first round and two picks in the second round. It's bizarre. Now, what they're doing to me, they're dismantling a team. I don't know if it's a great team, but they're just definitely removing parts of their team and dismantling it to bring in a bunch of draft picks. That's what they're doing. They want draft picks. And I, and I guess, look, if you're trying to bring in a bunch of young talent, this is the way to do it. Although I, I would also argue you got rid of young talent to bring in, but more potential talent, it's weird. I, I don't fully... It's it's very bizarre. A young left tackle makes a big impact. Minkovitz Patrick, not so much. But it's a total reset button. Minkovitz Patrick, won it out, fine. Um, I, I Again, I want to repeat, I don't know that I would have traded away Laramie Tunsil. A great... Young offensive linemen, particularly of left tackle, is really hard to come across. But the draft picks they got, it makes sense. Okay, they're, they're rebuilding, they're resetting. They're trying to bring in draft picks. But the most interesting part to me, and the biggest question I have about the Miami Dolphins. By the way, they've been blown out. The first two weeks, they've just been annihilated by the Ravens and the Patriots. They didn't even look competitive at all. The most interesting part of what's going on with the Dolphins right now is... How do they see Josh Rosen? I would pay so much money to be a fly on the wall just to sit in meetings to understand how does this team view their young quarterback? The question is: do the Dolphins believe that Josh Rosen is their long-term answer at quarterback? In 2018, it was a first-round draft pick. He struggled last year with the Arizona Cardinals. And let's be honest. Anybody would have struggled with the Arizona Cardinals last year. Their team is awful and atrocious. So the Dolphins traded for him. The Dolphins traded for Rosen. And now they're keeping him on the bench. Right now the Dolphins' starting quarterback is 36-year-old quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick. So my question is, is Josh Rosen not playing because he's an awful quarterback? Or is he not playing because the Dolphins are protecting him? Are they keeping him from getting hurt, letting Fitzpatrick take all the hits and just get the heck beat out of him? Are they quietly developing Josh Rosen on the side? I just wonder, are they planning to go to Josh Rosen as their future quarterback eventually? I don't know. Do they believe in him? Or are they planning to draft a quarterback with one of their early first round picks next year? I have no idea. I think if if Rosen is their guy, if Josh Rosen is the guy in Miami and they believe in him, then having a bunch of draft picks to build around him is a genius, fantastic plan. And the sad reality is if they have to use one of their draft picks on a quarterback next year, that hurts a lot. Remember, Josh Rosen's only 22 years old. He's got a whole career ahead of him. I hope he's the guy in Miami. But if he's not, that, that would really sting to have to use one of those draft picks because The potential here for the Dolphins is we have five picks in the first two rounds next year and we have our franchise quarterback. We can just get picks to build around him. On paper, that's a great idea. But if one of those picks have to go to a quarterback, you lose an impact player in the early in the first round that you could be drafting instead. That would really hurt. So I just, I want to find out. Do the Dolphins believe in Josh Rosen as their quarterback long-term or not? We won't know for a long time, but I cannot wait. To find out. Either way, to me, though, it's very, very clear. (laughs) Something I thought was not possible. The Dolphins are tanking. They're not trying to win. I guess they're running backs on the trade block now. They're they're just going to trade away their entire team and just bring in draft picks, I guess. I don't understand. Um, I, I do understand. They're trying to bring in young talent. I've just never actually seen an NFL team do this as blatantly and as openly as the Miami Dolphins are right now. Okay. Um, two legendary quarterbacks just got hurt Ben Roethlisberger hurt his elbow he needs surgery he's out for the year and Drew Brees got hurt the Saints quarterback he hurt his thumb he needs thumb surgery he's going to be out for the next six weeks so I, w- I want to start with the Pittsburgh Steelers their starting quarterback Big Ben got hurt And my initial reaction was actually that this is a blessing in disguise. Mason Rudolph is now the Pittsburgh Steelers starting quarterback. If you remember in 2018, in the third round, they drafted Mason Rudolph. And the belief was, and still somewhat is, that he is the next guy who will replace Big Ben. So I thought, man, this is a great opportunity. They can give Mason Rudolph a year tryout. They can learn about him. Is he the guy? Is he not? How does he handle himself? And if he's awful, guess what? They can draft a quarterback in the first round next year. They get a year tryout with Mason Rudolph. But then the Steelers took a weird turn. They traded their 2020 first round draft pick for defensive back Minka Fitzpatrick from the Dolphins. I went, oh, weird wrinkle. So right now, unless the Steelers make a trade, they cannot draft a quarterback early in the first round next year because guess what? They don't have a first-round draft pick next year. So the Steelers must either be all in on Mason Rudolph or they truly believe that Big Ben's going to come back next year. He's 37 years old. He's injured for the rest of the year. They must believe either Mason Rudolph is the truth or Big Ben's planning to come back. He said he has. Ah, we'll see. Let's be honest, the Steelers did not look great even with Big Ben at quarterback. Now they're starting a backup quarterback. So we're going to learn this year whether or not Mason Rudolph is the future of the Pittsburgh Steelers. I'm excited to watch it, but I think it is important to to point out a couple things. Number one, if Mason Rudolph is all right but not great this year, I would give him patience because Mason Rudolph is... This will be his first year starting in the NFL, very similar to a rookie quarterback starting. And he has not hit his ceiling yet. Whatever he does this year, he's got a lot of time and room to grow as a quarterback. So if he does okay and not great, don't panic. We'll be okay. Not we, I'm not a Steelers fan. I'm just saying, as a guy who loves football and loves quarterbacks, give Mason Rudolph a little bit of patience. But the third thing is that, you know, the, I guess that's one and two combined. I had notes, they got ruined. The third thing I want to talk about, the next thing I wanted to talk about was Mason Rudolph did earn his spot. He beat out Josh Dobb to become num- the number two quarterback on the depth chart. He earned the right to be the next guy in line. That's cool. He put himself in a position to be ready. And I guess everybody in the Steelers organization keeps saying he's got relentless preparation. He works really really hard. He's on the sideline. He's engaged. He's taking vigorous notes. He has always been preparing for this moment, trying to get ready. That's cool. And that makes me excited that I cannot wait to root for Mason Rudolph this year because, man, like a guy who's prepared and he's trying to be as ready as he possibly can for his moment. That's really cool. That's hard to root against. I hope he does fantastic. I'm rooting for Mason Rudolph. We'll find out. I don't know. I honestly don't know whether he will succeed or not. We're going to learn throughout this year whether or not he is the future of the Steelers. That'll be fun. Now, Drew Brees' injury, the New Orleans Saints quarterback, his injury is more frustrating because the Saints have, not only do they have a chance to compete for a Super Bowl this year, in my opinion, they're one of the most complete teams in the entire NFL, but he's not just out for the year. If he was out for the year, bam take it, that's you can just accept that. Okay, it's over. that stinks, but now we're gonna see if Teddy Bridgewater is the next guy. But the weird part about Drew Brees's injury is only gone for six weeks, which means that he's gonna come back and probably be fantastic, probably be great. And he's gonna miss six games. He's, these are the six games he's going to miss. The Seahawks, the Cowboys, the Buccaneers. The Jaguars, the Bears, and the Cardinals. So in my opinion, the Saints are going to be lucky to go 2-4 and four without Drew Brees. They'll be lucky to win two games without their starting quarterback. They're not going to beat the Seahawks. They're not going to beat the Cowboys. And they're not going to beat the Bears. More than likely, they're probably going to go 1-5 in the next six weeks. I don't like saying that. that that's my opinion and my belief. You need to remember something. Drew Brees is not just the New Orleans Saints quarterback. He's their emotional leader in the locker room. He brings them a sense of hope. That's why they beat the Texans in week one. They rally around and behind Drew Brees. They believe in him. That's their guy they fight for. And I know from experience, it is really hard to lead a team from the sidelines. My last practice with my college football team, I was a number three quarterback. I was on the sideline. I'm on the sideline signaling. I'm not in the huddle. I'm removed from the game a little bit. And our offense had the worst offensive practice we'd had. I think really of any team I've ever been a part of, it was the worst practice I've ever been a part of ever. I was like, well, this is horrible. Guys were running slow, the wrong routes, making mental mistakes. Quarterback was missing throw after throw after throw. It was pitiful. It was hard to watch. And for my gut, I was like, ah. I wanted to say something. I wanted to pick the guys up around me. And I was removed from the game. I was on the sideline. away. I felt trapped over there. And what I learned was it's hard to have an impact on the field when you're on the sideline. Drew Brees is going to have that kind of frustration for the next six weeks. He's going to want to have an impact on the field, and he won't be able to. Right now, the Saints are 1-1. One one. If the Saints can be 4-4 four and four when Drew Brees comes back, that dog can hunt. They can work with that. If they can go 3-3 three and three the next six weeks while Drew Brees is gone, they're in a position for Drew Brees to lead them to the playoffs. So if they lose to the Cowboys, the Bears, and the Seahawks, but beat the Buccaneers, the Cardinals, and the Jaguars... If that can happen for the Saints, they have a chance to make the playoffs. And and I believe Drew Brees is going to come back. I don't know that this is really possible, but I do think it's going to happen. He's going to come back even more determined, even more hungry. He's going to fight even harder. I I don't even know if that's possible. But that's, that's Drew Brees. I think he could. He'd come back and take the Saints to the playoffs if they can survive their time without him. But if Drew Brees comes back and the Saints are two and six, their year is over. If he comes back and they're three and five, maybe, maybe they can come back and win, you know, run the table. But four and four is what the Saints are aiming for right now. They got to go three and three without Drew Brees. That is the number I think is really, really important. Sad. I don't know what's going to happen. I I hope not. But I think personally, the Saints are screwed without Drew Brees. I don't think it's going to work out. They do, I will acknowledge, have an incredible roster. A roster that might be good enough to carry quarterback play from Teddy Bridgewater and Taysom Hill. So I've repeated this multiple times. If the Saints can go three and three without Debris, if they can be four and four six weeks from now, they have a chance to make the playoffs. If they don't, it's over. I don't have a lot of faith in Teddy Bridgewater. I don't. You know, I I wish I I I hope he's amazing. I really, I'm rooting for him. I really like Teddy Bridgewater in Minnesota. I felt really bad for what happened to him. But what I've seen on the field from him since he got to New Orleans has not been impressive at all. And so I don't believe in Teddy Bridgewater, but I really badly hope I'm wrong. And I really want Teddy Bridgewater to succeed. We will see what happens. Um, Four and four. That is what the Saints need to be aiming for six weeks from now when Drew Brees returns to be a part of the Saints again. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm excited to see how things work out. All right, my name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we're going to talk about Lamar Jackson. We'll talk about the New England Patriots. We will talk about Dak Prescott. And later down the road, we'll talk about Gardner Minshew. We'll do Ask Zach. A whole bunch of good stuff's coming up ahead. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Um, I want to start by talking about the Baltimore Ravens starting quarterback, Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson has had an incredible start to the 2019 NFL season. Through the first two games, he's got 596 passing yards, seven touchdowns, a 71.9% completion percentage. And here's the thing that's most impressive to me. Of all the stats you could talk about, week one, he only ran three times for six yards, which means that he did not need his legs to succeed. Lamar Jackson is winning with his arm. He's throwing the ball incredible. It's, man, it is so fun to watch. I, I love it, I love it, I love it so much. Now, week two, he did run the ball more. He ran 16 times for 120 yards. But that just shows the versatility of how he can play. It's evident to me from the Dolphins game week one, he doesn't need his legs to win at quarterback. And that's exciting and shows an evolution from Lamar Jackson that I, I just was like, wow, that's really, really cool. Lamar Jackson's playing better. Like, I mean, you just got to acknowledge he's throwing the ball better than we've ever seen him do in his career as a football player. Now, some people who are skeptical say that he's been throwing to guys who are wide open. And they're not wrong. Through the first two weeks against the Cardinals and the Dolphins, Lamar Jackson has had wide receivers wide open the entire time. And I think it's fair to be skeptical, but you also should not fault Lamar Jackson for playing in a great system with great play design. Lamar Jackson shouldn't be punished for having great coaching. He should just, that's awesome. But I will say context does matter. It's important. He shredded the Dolphins and the Cardinals, two teams that are, you know, the Dolphins, I think, are the worst team in football. I don't think they're even trying to win games. And the Cardinals are near the bottom of the league. Context matters. It's important. So Lamar Jackson looks really, really good. I respect the work he's put in. He looks far better than we've ever seen. And what we've learned about Lamar Jackson is that when he plays bad to average teams, he's going to shred them and play really, really well. When he plays the Bengals, the Jets, the Bills, he's going to dominate them. That's what's going to happen for Lamar Jackson. But there are three games I want to see from Lamar Jackson before I give you a final verdict. Before we really—I don't want to say verdict. We're going to learn a lot about Lamar Jackson from three games this year. This Sunday, week three, he plays the Kansas City Chiefs. It's a big game. We're going to learn a lot about him as a quarterback. Later in week 9, he'll play the Patriots. That'll be a big game for him. And week 12, he'll play the Rams. Those three football games are going to be very telling about Lamar Jackson as a quarterback. He doesn't need to win all three of those games. He doesn't need to win any of those three games. But he needs to play well. I'm curious to see how he does against top-level competition. Clearly, Lamar Jackson is a really good quarterback. It's it's undisputable. The first two weeks, wow, it's impressive. He's really good. But the question is, how good? How good is Lamar Jackson? When receivers aren't wide open, how does he play? I think it's a fair question to ask. I don't, you know, this is why I love doing my job. I really enjoy it. Because after the first two weeks of watching Lamar Jackson, there are a couple reasonable questions you can ask. He's much improved. It's undeniable. But how does he play against top competition? How does he play when his wide receivers aren't wide open? Well, Lamar Jackson has and this is why sports are so cool. He has an opportunity weeks 3, 9, and 12 to answer some of those questions. I'm not going to look if he plays really bad against the Chiefs, I'm not going to panic. I'm not going to criticize him. I'll give him till week 12. Cuz he you never know, he could struggle struggle against the Chiefs and then play fantastic and shred the Patriots. He could play fantastic and shred the Rams. Let's, let's wait till week 12 and, and learn all we can about Lamar Jackson before we deliver all kinds of really deep analysis, this and that and opinions and stuff. Let's just wait and see what happens. I want to see him against better teams, against teams with better defenses that cover him better, that cover his receivers better. I, I do. But personally, you know, well, I'm, I'm going to wait and, and see how he does. I hope it's clear. I am I am rooting for Lamar Jackson. It's been so cool to watch his improvement as a quarterback. Like, oh, wow. Week one, I was like, five touchdowns? All throwing? Barely ran at all? I, me and my friends were like... I mean, I even made a bet with my buddy who had him as his fantasy quarterback. My buddy proved me wrong. Taylor was right about Lamar Jackson. He looks incredible. Um, and so I, I hope that Lamar Jackson silences any kind of skeptical thoughts um, or any, any people who are critical of him. I, I hope he's... Just fantastic. And I hope he, he really proves to everybody he can do it against top talent, against man coverage, and big moments. We'll see. I don't know. But I, I hope he does well. And I'm gonna wait until week twelve before I before before I wanna see more from Lamar Jackson before we go. He's amazing, he's Hall of Fame, he's an elite quarterback. How does he do week three, nine, and twelve? That those are the three games that are really important to me. And then, of course, he's got to shred and do, keep doing what he's doing against average to below-average teams. He's really good. Can he be great to elite? That is what we will find out after week 12. All right. Um, the New England Patriots are just unbelievable. It, it's terrifying to me. Everything they do, by the way, just impresses me. I, I just, my gosh, number one, the Patriots are incredibly stacked this year. They just have so chock full of really good, really talented players. Tom Brady, their head coach, Bill Belichick. Sure, those are like staples of them. But they have a great offensive line. They have a great running back, Sony Michelle. Plus, their receivers are incredible. Julian Edelman, Josh Gordon, Philip Dorsett. They have a rookie first-round receiver who's going to be out for the next eight weeks, Nikhil Haru, when he comes back. That's scary. And then on top of all that, everything I listed already is an incredibly great football team. And then they added Antonio Brown, who, in my opinion, is the best wide receiver in the entire NFL. A lot of people hate the Patriots. I don't hate them. I respect them. I'm not a fan. I just I just respect them. Man, I feel bad for people that hate the Patriots because in some sense, it becomes easier to hate them every single time. You go... Antonio Brown's been a pain in the butt. Of course they got him. Of course he's gonna do well. But man, the Patriots are just gonna to continue to succeed over and over and over again. And I just, man, it's it's really scary. Now, now by the way, I do have to have to if I'm gonna talk about Antonio Brown and mention him at all, I have to acknowledge there's some stuff going on with him off the field. I'm just gonna to wait to see how it all plays out before I talk about it in depth. I just, you know, I want to see. I'm gonna let it play out, and and once we have all the facts and we know everything going on. I want to talk about it more in depth. But for now, let's just wait and see what happens. But the main point remains, I believe that the New England Patriots are the best all-around football team in the entire NFL. Head coach, quarterback, offensive line, receivers. And then the thing that no one's talking about is their defense. The Patriots' defense is unbelievable. I don't know why we, we don't talk about this more. You know, everyone... I guess it makes sense, right? They have stars galore all over their offense. But in the first two weeks, the New England Patriots have only given up three points. Can you think of the, I can't think of the last time that happens. Usually with the Patriots, I feel like the last couple of years, they're always talking about how, oh, their defense struggled. They lost to the Lions or the Texans, whatever year it is. And you go, well, you know, their defense are going to be okay. They'll get better as the year goes on. Every year with you know in the past with Patriots defenses, they struggle, and then by the, the playoffs, they're just a better, more refined defense that can finally get stops. What we've never seen from the Patriots is this. They shut down Big Ben week one, and they didn't even give up a touchdown week two against the Dolphins when they were winning by like a ton of points. It was a blowout. And even in garbage time in the fourth quarter, the Patriots defense did not let up. I can't remember the last time I saw that from a Patriots defense. To start this well, because every year the Patriots' defenses steadily improve throughout the year. Well, their starting point is so much higher than we've seen in past years. If they keep steadily improving, that's horrifying. And though what's weird is they don't even need to steadily improve. If that, if they just keep doing what they're doing, they're a, a matchup nightmare for other football teams. So the Patriots are unbelievable. I, I just think, man, they are—they're such a good football team. I think they're going to start. 8-0. Now, some people believe that the Patriots are going to go undefeated. People are like, oh, this is the year the Patriots are going to go undefeated. They're going to get redemption for the year they went undefeated and lost in the Super Bowl. And I I don't think that's going to happen. I do not think that the Patriots are going to go undefeated. And I don't think they're even going to try to go undefeated. I mean, of course, I mean, everyone's, that's a, a dumb statement. Of course, they're going to try. Every team tries to win every single game they play. But November begins a really tough stretch for the New England Patriots. Week 9, they play at the Ravens. Then they get a bye week. Then week 10 at the Eagles. Week 12, the Cowboys go to Foxborough. Week 13, they play at the Texans in Houston. And then week 14, the Chiefs go to New England to play the Patriots. Now two of those games, the Chiefs and the Ravens, are against teams that are potential AFC playoff teams. So my question is, when would the Patriots rather beat the Ravens and the Chiefs? Would you rather beat them in Week 9 and Week 14 or beat them in the playoffs? Because in my opinion, I think the, the Patriots much more value beating those two teams in the playoffs. So traditionally, Bill Belichick and the Patriots use an earlier season matchup. If they know they're going to play a team early in the year, and then play them again in the playoffs, what they do is use that first matchup to get a feel for a team. They get some stuff on film. They don't show their hand too much. When the Patriots play a playoff team earlier in the year, they use the game as a misdirection. They they run very bland, vanilla schemes. They don't tip anything away. And then what they do is they hope the other team tries every wrinkle they have so they can get it all on film So you can beat us week 14 if you're the Chiefs. You can beat us week 9 if you're the Ravens. Put your energy into that game. What we're going to do is put our energy into that playoff game. Give us everything you got. We'll get it on film. We'll make adjustments. And then we'll beat you in the playoffs. That is routinely what the New England Patriots have done historically. And that's what I think they're going to do this year. So I I ask people. I would not panic or and I would not celebrate no matter which side you're on if the Patriots lose early in the year to the Ravens or the Chiefs or the Eagles or the sorry in November or December they lose a game in November or early December think nothing of it in fact be scared because if the Patriots lose to the Chiefs in week 14 they have all the answers they need on film to make adjustments and beat the Chiefs later in the playoffs. That's how the Patriots operate. I ask you to go to Instagram.com. Just Go, go watch the Patriots Instagram sometime. They put out videos of their locker room when they get a win. They've been doing it this year, the first two games. And you, what you see is locker room culture at its finest. You see hugs, handshakes. You see congratulations. And then you don't see certain things. You don't see a lot of yelling, a lot of hooping and hollering and freaking out. For the Patriots, winning is not something to celebrate. It's the next step in the process. Yep. On to whatever. And then, you know, it's Bill Belichick's classic saying, on to Cincinnati, on to the Dolphins, on to whatever team is next. The Patriots are measured. And in their locker room after games, there's talk of, we need to get better. We can play a little better here. Even after beating down the Miami Dolphins, I heard Tom Brady say, yeah, there's a couple things I could do better. That's that's terrifying. So I really do not think that the Patriots care about going undefeated. Their locker room, their actions in the past, the Patriots care about winning the Super Bowl. And if they think that, hey, we're, if they think protecting themselves and not showing all their wrinkles and not giving it all they have against the Chiefs early in the year, to not tip their hand and to, in fact, get film on the Chiefs, they'll do that. They're okay losing to the Chiefs in Week 14. What they don't want to do is lose to the Chiefs in the AFC Championship game and miss out on a Super Bowl. That, to me, is the Patriots' only and single goal right now. Win a Super Bowl. Other than that, they don't care. So there's all this talk about going undefeated, and I think it's nonsense because I don't think it matters at all to the New England Patriots. All right, um... One of the players I have most enjoyed watching this year so far has been the Dallas Cowboys quarterback, Dak Prescott. Um, I'm going to list some stats, and I want you to hear what he's done this year, the statistics. But I think it's a story behind the stats that really, really excites me. So in two games so far this year, Dak Prescott has thrown for 674 yards, seven touchdowns. He has an 82.3% completion percentage. And he does have one interception, but it was actually a, a pass that bounced off his receiver's hands. Dak looks fantastic. He he, does. he looks, wow. Him and Lamar Jackson are like my most improved quarterbacks. I'm like, you guys look amazing. But there's reasons for these improvements. Number one is Dak Prescott's footwork is better than I've ever seen from him. He clearly made that a point of emphasis in the offseason. He said, I want to get better at footwork. I want to be more accurate. Footwork creates accuracy. Any throws I've ever missed in my life was because my feet were bad. If you have bad feet, your accuracy drops off a cliff. It matters. Your foot, feet and your base are very, very important. The best throw Dak Prescott has all year is a throw where, you know, there's a throw I really like, by the way, where he, you know, he, he throws a fade ball against the Giants. It's great. It's, a, it's in a perfect spot. It's against man covers. Last year, I was very concerned because Dak Prescott struggled to beat man coverage, throwing the ball over the top. He answered that question week one against the Giants. He dropped in a perfect pass down the left sideline over the breadbasket, you know, kind of over the shoulder against man coverage. Great throw. But there's another throw later in the year where he's going through his reads. He resets his feet, throws the ball over the middle. It's like his third read, and it's fantastic. A lot of people don't understand this. You know, First of all, better footwork in the pocket means that when he's throwing to his third and his fourth read, He's better. You know, he's resetting his feet from one side of the field to the other, from his first read to the second read. And when he's doing that, he's throwing more accurate than we've ever seen from Dak Prescott. Little inside information if you play quarterback. It's easy to catch the ball and set your feet to your first target, to one side of the field. Maybe it's a slant. Maybe it's who knows. Whatever. Make up whatever route you want. That Your first read's easy. But as you go across the field to your third, your fourth, maybe your check down or your fifth read, and there are bodies all around you. There are guys around you trying to tackle you, trying to hit you, trying to take you to the ground. Often young quarterbacks, their footwork degrades as the play goes on. The first side, you know, the first two reads, one side of the field, that's easy. But as you got to reset and set your feet to the middle of the field, And then maybe go all the way to the other side of the field that's much harder. And right now, Dak Prescott is better than I've ever seen when it comes to resetting his feet to the middle of the field and to the other side of the field. So again, to be very clear, Dak Prescott's more accurate than I've ever seen, and it's because of footwork. It's awesome. It's fun to watch. Another huge factor is that (laughs) Dak Prescott has a new offensive coordinator, Kellen Moore. Kellen Moore is a unique situation. I've never seen anything like it. Uh, two years ago, Kellen Moore was Dak Prescott's backup quarterback. They clearly have a good relationship. Last year, he was Kel- Kellen Moore. Last year, he was Dak Prescott's quarterback coach. This year, he was elevated to offensive coordinator. It's clear to me from play calling and from the way that, from play, I'm mean, just from play calling, from what the Cowboys are doing on offense. Kellen Moore, the Cowboys offensive coordinator, trusts and believes in Dak Prescott. That goes a million miles. It's so so important. When you have a coach who trusts you, and who believes in you, who calls plays with confidence in you. You know the Cowboys right now are throwing on first and second down. They're in the shotgun a bunch. They're throwing. They're being incredibly aggressive, throwing the ball downfield, attacking, attacking attacking, going after teams, throwing the ball downfield with Dak Prescott's arm. That shows that Kellen Moore has a ton of confidence in Dak Prescott. And when you put confidence in someone, often they reward you by playing well. Not always, but often. It feels great when a coach has confidence in you. It makes you, it makes you play way better. So that's, those are the two reasons why Dak Prescott, in my opinion, looks better than we've ever seen. His footwork is way better. His ability to reset his feet and throw to his third and fourth read is great. And then he has a coach that believes in him, who calls plays aggressively with belief that Dak Prescott's going to do the job. That's so cool. The, the marriage between Kellen Moore and Dak Prescott has been really fun to watch. I want to do a breakdown of him later this year. But for now, just know it's going incredibly well. And I'm, I'm very, very impressed with not only Dak Prescott and his coach, but with Dak Prescott's work ethic this offseason, he made a lot of little changes that made him far better. Now here's the next thing I want to talk about. I would pay Dak Prescott if I was the Dallas Cowboys. I would. Here's why. Dak Prescott's really good. Look, I can acknowledge he's not as good as a thrower of the football as Patrick Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers. He's not the most physically gifted quarterback in the entire NFL. But he doesn't need to have the strongest arm in the league. He's highly accurate. He's, he's really he's more than good enough. But he's the best we've ever seen right now. Dak Prescott's playing great. His feet are better. He's very much improved. His accuracy's skyrocketing. He's done the work. Dak Prescott consistently is getting better and better. Every single year he gets a little bit better. And right now Dak Prescott's off the charts. He's fantastic. And consistently getting better from a spot that was already pretty good. But Dak also has something that people so often overlook when they evaluate quarterbacks. It's something that's hard to see. It's not arm strength. It's not your footwork. It's this. Dak Prescott is a galvanizing leader. He rallies the troops. He moves the ball downfield. And he wins games. Uh, For some reason, everybody seems to overlook that fact. He wins games consistently. When Dak Prescott's teammates play for him, they fight hard for Dak. They play hard around him. He lifts the people up around him, and they fight. Dak Prescott, Jared Goff, and Carson Wentz were all drafted in the 2016 NFL Draft. In the years that Jared Goff has been in the league, He's gone 26 and 14, which means he's won 65% of his games. That's very good. Very impressive. Highly respect that. Carson Wentz has gone 24 and 18. 24 wins, 18 losses. He's won 57% of his games. But what's funny to me is that Dak Prescott, a lowly third round pick, has gone 34 and 16. 34 wins, 16 losses. He's won 68% of his games. More games than Jared Goff. more a, a higher percentage of wins than Jared Goff and Carson Wentz. Now, I admit the flaw in that thinking, right? You go, okay. But Dak Prescott went to a really good team coming into the league. Fair enough. He had a better roster. I can acknowledge that. that if you want to criticize that, go ahead. But winning should matter. And what's weird about that statistic is that Dak Prescott has a better winning percentage than Jared Goff and Carson Wentz. Yet Carson Wentz and Jared Goff have gotten contracts, and Dak has not. He has not gotten a contract. That's criminal to me. The fact that Dak hasn't been paid? What? I want want to repeat this. It's very, very meaningful to me. It's very important. Dak Prescott is a galvanizing leader who rallies his team. People fight hard for Dak Prescott. And he wins games. On Sundays, he consistently wins football games. And he's talented. He's right now in year, this is year four. He looks better than we've ever seen. His footwork's incredible. I think he's really figured it out. He's done the work. He's getting better every year. He wins games. He's a great leader. And he's clearly good enough. He's a guy who works his butt off. Pay Dak Prescott. I'm begging you. The longer you wait the more money you're going to have to pay him down the road. He's going to have a great year this year. And I I think they should pay him now before it's way too much down the road. I would pay Dak Prescott. He's worth it. He elevates your locker room. He wins games, and he's a really good dang quarterback. And I would pay Dak Prescott in a heartbeat. He's more than worth the money, if you ask me. All right, uh, I'm going to take a short break. But before I do that, so we'll take a break. We'll do Ask Zach. I'm very excited. Uh, before we do that, there's a topic I do during every single episode of Strong Opinion Sports. It's very important to me. Um, three years ago, my younger brother, Zane, took his life. It was heartbreaking. It's the hardest thing I've ever been through. Uh, it taught me a lot about resilience, a lot about fighting hard and getting through stuff. But there are two painful lessons I learned from my brother's death. The first thing is this, is that my brother never asked for help. Uh, I had no idea he was struggling. He just One day I came home, he was dead on the floor. And, and that's awful. And so I encourage you, if you're listening and you're having a hard time, if you're struggling, please go get help. Reach out to your friends. Do not suffer in silence the way my brother did. Go get help. I'm begging you and asking if you're having a hard time, if you're struggling at all, go get help. Go seek professional help. The suicide hotline is 1-800-273-8255. one 273 I'm begging you, if you're struggling, please go get help. But that's only one lesson. The second lesson is this is that I could have done a better job making it clear to my younger brother that I loved him and that I was there for him when he was having a hard time. I I didn't know what I was doing. I, I didn't know yet. So I encourage you, if you're listening, tell the people in your life you love them. Tell them you're there for them when they're having a hard time, that you support them, that you believe in them. Please care for the people in your life. Tell them you love them and make it abundantly clear. That you'll be there for them when they're struggling, when they're having a hard time. I did not do a good enough job making sure my brother knew those couple things. So I encourage you, make sure that you tell the people in your life you love them. Again, the suicide hotline is one 800 273 8255 guys, I love you so much. I, I just, you know, I I hope that this the these two things I learned from this experience can help somebody. If it's one person, it means it makes a huge impact to me. I love it. So I just uh, remember, if you're struggling, please go get help and tell the people in your life that you love them and you're there for them. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we'll do Ask Zach. I'll be right Oh All right, we are back. Uh, it's now time for my favorite segment of the podcast called Ask Zach. It's the way I end every single one of my podcasts. It's a way to connect with people who listen to the show. And allow me to read their questions on the air. Um, people who support me on Patreon, Patreon.com forward slash Zach Shomler. You give a dollar a month. You can give more if you want. I would I, I love your money. I would appreciate that. Helps me pay the bills. But if you give a dollar a month or more, it gives you access to submit questions to me. On, and I only accept questions through Patreon. But you can send it to me through DMs on direct, you know direct messages on Patreon, or you can comment on some of my posts. I post on there. Hey. The next Ask Zach is coming. Leave your comments below for the show. And uh, I will not guarantee that if you submit a question, I'll read it on the show. I don't. But I do guarantee I'll read your question. At least I'll look at it with my eyeballs. And then I pick the best couple and I read them on the show and answer them uh, every episode. So uh, we have one, two, three, four, five, six questions I want to answer today. And I want to start with Alex. Alex says, hey, Zach. I watched you, oh man, I watched the film analysis in Gardner Minshew you did. But do you think he will succeed being put in the starting QB role in his rookie season? So if you don't know, uh, during week one, the Jaguars starting quarterback, Nick Foles, got hurt. He's out for the season. And he was replaced by a rookie quarterback, Gardner Minshew, a guy I absolutely love. I did a film analysis of him coming out of college. I met him in college when I was at Washington State. Uh, and, and week one, in his first game, he went 22 for 25, had 275 yards passing, had an 88% completion percentage, two touchdowns, and one interception. Um, so number one, I love watching Gardner Minshew succeed. He is just a—I've met him. I love him. He views life as one great adventure to make the most of. I think that's so cool, man. He just—his attitude is infectious. He's kind of become— You know, there's a bunch of memes about him right now. He's kind of become overnight the Chuck Norris of the NFL. It's just so cool, and I'm so happy for him. Now, it's important to remember about Gardner Minshew that, you know, going into his senior year, he graduated from his old school. I think it was East Carolina, and he, he grad transferred to Washington State to become their quarterback. He was fantastic. He balled out at Washington State, and then he moved on to the NFL. He got drafted, I believe, in the fifth round by the Jaguars. And you know he's now the Jaguars' starting quarterback. But in an alternate timeline, you know he he was very very close from not going to Washington State, and instead going to Alabama. He would have gone to Alabama to be their third string quarterback. That was literally his plan. He, he was comfortable with that, because his goal was to eventually become a graduate assistant at Alabama, and get to coach football. So he went from almost being to a tongue of a low and Jalen Hurts backup to holding a clipboard this year. He would, he would be holding a clipboard right now as a graduate assistant at Alabama to instead he's now the Jaguars' starting quarterback. What a weird world and what a weird turn of events. That's how cool this world is, is that one tiny decision to go to Washington State instead of Alabama led him to this position now where he's the Jaguars' starting quarterback. Unbelievable. It's just so cool. And that's why, again, I go back to that his views on life. Again, he, he treats life like it's an adventure and he's going to make the most of it. That's so very cool. It's inspiring to me. And I hope more people listen to that and, and learn from Gardner Minshew and be more like him. Now Gardner Minshew week one played fantastic week two. I think he left some on the table. He, you know, it was a key third and five where he missed a running. He missed Leonard Fournette down the left sideline on a wheel route. Um, and they narrowly lost to the Texans 13 to 12. Now, for the record, Gardner Minshew let it come back in the fourth quarter. He scored with, like I think, a couple seconds left. They missed this two-point conversion and ended up losing the game. But the moxie from Gardner Minshew, it's hard to root against. He's playing great. He's got flaws. He's not perfect. But, man, is he a fighter. He's scrappy. I love the guy. Now, the question that Alex asked was, will Gardner Minshew succeed as a Jaguar starting quarterback in his rookie season right now? Um, I believe he's going to succeed. Now, will he win? That's a different question, um, and I'm not as confident there. Uh, I Personally, I didn't even believe that the Jaguars were going to win a lot of games with their starting quarterback, Nick Foles. So I what does succeed mean? I think if he has a good year and plays well, he succeeds. I think he's going to succeed. But the schedule is not easy coming up for the Jaguars. They play the Colts twice. They play the Titans twice. They play the Chargers, the Falcons. They play the Broncos, who have two great defensive ends are going to probably bring... A heavy pass rush at Gardner Minshew. But the Jaguars also have a lot of winnable games on their schedule coming up. They play the Saints week six without Drew Brees. play the Buccaneers, the Jets, the Bengals, the Raiders, the Panthers. Those are a lot of winnable games for the Jaguars. But you also have to acknowledge, in the first two games, Gardner Minshew's played pretty great. And the Jaguars are still 0-2. Week one... Minshew was incredible, and they still lost to the Chiefs. So I think it's possible Gardner Minshew plays great all year, and it's still not enough to have a winning record, even have a lot of winning success, because the Jaguars team in general isn't that great. So Gardner could play great all year, still have a losing record, and I hope that does not reflect poorly on him, because he, right now, has been my favorite story so far of the NFL season. I love Gardner Minshew. He's fun. He's awesome. He's a great guy, and he's... Man, he's making the most of every opportunity he gets. And I just, dang, I love it. I love watching the guy succeed. The next question is from Christopher. Christopher says, he's from, by the way, he's from Denmark. Chris, it's so cool you're an international viewer of the show. I I love that so much. Christopher says, hey, Zach, hope football is going well for you. Um, I'm enjoying the NFL season. (laughs) Sorry. He says, what do you think of the whole A-B debacle and his current situation with the Patriots. Some conspire to think that he orchestrated everything so that the Raiders would release him and the Pats would sign him. Do you think that has some merit or are people just paranoid due to the Patriots' brand? Best regards, Chris from Denmark. Uh, Chris, there's a great video I want to send you to. You and everybody listening. I think it's great. I think it's worth your time. It's really funny. Uh, Actually, a Patreon supporter named Jackson sent it to me. Uh, Jackson, by the way, I didn't read your question this week. I'm sorry. But keep sending me questions. I love your questions. I think they're great. Jackson sent me a video by Pat McAfee. And uh, Jackson pointed out, and he was right, it's basically stand-up comedy. It's amazing. It's a video called Pat McAfee predicts Antonio Brown to the Patriots. One more time. It's Pat McAfee predicts Antonio Brown to the Patriots. Go watch it. It's so, so funny. And I because it's, it's him going through the history and the timeline of what happened with Antonio Brown, kind of rationalizing it. If you look at it as if it was all planned, I have no idea if Antonio Brown was intentionally self-sabotaging himself intentionally self-sabotaging himself too many hymns, but whatever, too many selves, but it does make sense. If you think about it this way, one, if you notice the minute he got to new England, he shut up, he got a helmet and he went to practice. Now he does have one issue off the field. I'm uncomfortable with that subject. It's it's ugly and I'm I'm just going to wait till the whole all that stuff gets resolved. If you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. I'm going to let I'm going to let the narrative go on that and then once we have all the facts and there's a conclusion to that story, I'll talk about it, but right now there's not. But I want to point out it makes a little bit of sense if he was self-sabotaging. And he's been doing it for the last year and a half. He did it to get out of Pittsburgh. And then he did it again with the Raiders. It kind of makes sense if you go, okay, maybe Antonio Brown has been doing everything he possibly can to become a free agent. Oh, makes sense. He goes, hey, I'm really stinking rich. And I'm really talented. And all I want is to be able to pick my team. I want to go to whatever team I want. I want to have that choice. If that was Antonio Brown's goal all along... He certainly got it. He got a giant contract with the Patriots. He's clearly, again, he's following instructions. He's been quiet and just been doing his thing there. Um, the fun conspiracy about Antonio Brown, where maybe he's been sabotaging himself all along to try to get to the Patriots or to whatever team he wanted. That's a fun one, and I think it's possible. There's a lot of truth in that. I don't know, but it, to me, it makes it. It's audacious. It's weird. But there's nothing wrong with doing audacious things just because it's what is not the norm. If that's Antonio Brown's outside the box answer to going, hey, I'm the best at my job. I have leverage. I can get away with so much. I'm just going to make myself a free agent. If that's really what happened, because no one in the right mind would just release Antonio Brown. But if he's crazy enough and becomes that much of a headache that people are just like, fine, I don't want to deal with you. We'll trade you away for nothing. We'll release you because you're just insane. You won't even wear your dang helmet. That's about the only way Antonio Brown was going to become a free agent. And my gosh, it worked. So if that was his goal all along, it makes absolute sense to me. Go watch the Pat McAfee video. It's called Pat McAfee Predicts Antonio Brown to the Patriots. It's hilarious. I really I say that I say the title multiple times because I'm a person who does listen to podcasts. And if you're in your car, if you're working out, maybe you can't stop. Often this happens to me where I'll be listening to a podcast and the people on the show will talk about something and I go, man, I can't remember what it is. I want to write it down. And I, on my hands, I'm driving. I can't write it down. I'm, I'm literally mo- I can't touch anything. I can't write anything down. So I got to remember what it is. So if you want to remember what I'm talking about, the title of that video is Pat McAfee predicts Antonio Brown to the Patriots. I've said it four times. i trying to help you out. Go watch it. It's two minutes. It is hilarious. Okay, the next question is from Lawrence. And and by the way, I want to, before I read this question, Lawrence, you make it, an assumption in this comment. Um, I don't know that you fully understand, but I do appreciate the sentiment. Lawrence says, Zach, Lawrence, back at you again. He says, overly excited about you coming back sooner than I expected. I think you made the right choice seeing as you have the best po- sports podcast in the game. I don't know that you understand why I made the choice I made. Uh, there's a painful long reason behind it, but I am glad to be back doing the show. I, I'm I'm grateful for the compliment. I do love, I think it's a great show. I'm very proud of it. And uh, I'm going to read the rest of your question now Lawrence. But again, I want to say, we've talked before. I'm so grateful for your support. It means a lot to me. Lawrence says, Anyway, Zach, if you had to choose between being Teddy Bridgewater or Mason Rudolph to take over a franchise because of an injury, which player would you rather be at this moment and why? So would I rather be... Teddy Bridgewater taking over for Drew Brees in New Orleans. Or Mason Rudolph taking over right now with the the Pittsburgh Steelers. Oh, man. My gut says, I go back and forth. I'm going to tell you just, I'm not going to answer the way you want. I'm not going to pick one. I'm going to say both and why. My gut says Teddy Bridgewater because the Saints have a better roster and they have a better coach who works well with quarterbacks. Sean Payton. So I think that Teddy Bridgewater's better set up to succeed. I like I, I do I think that's great, but the looming problem is, you know first of all, you're replacing both quarterbacks, both you know Mason Rudolph and Teddy Bridgewater are replacing legendary quarterbacks, Drew Brees in New Orleans, Ben Roethlisberger in Pittsburgh they're both injured. But the weird part about Teddy Bridgewater is he's been given the keys to a Lamborghini. But he only gets to drive it for six weeks. In six weeks, he's got to give the keys back and give it back to the owner. That's a weird situation where you're a placeholder, so the team's not going to be all in on you because they know Drew Brees is coming back. From an emotional standpoint, that's very weird as a locker room. He's got a better team. But at some point, he's going to have to give it back. If you may go back to that analogy, Mason Rudolph was simply, it's not as nice of a car. Like, the Steelers are not as good a roster as the Saints. But Mason Rudolph was just given the car. He wasn't just given the keys for a couple of weeks. Mason Rudolph has full control. He's steering the ship now. Big Ben is not coming back this year. And he might never come back if Mason Rudolph kicks butt and kills it. If Mason Rudolph can steal the job away from Big Ben, I think Big Ben would retire. So I don't know. I think Mason Rudolph has an opportunity to win over a franchise and win over a city. And it's a far different and far better opportunity. Than Teddy Bridgewater does. Like Teddy Bridgewater, no matter how well he plays, he's gonna have to give the job back to Drew Brees at some point. There's no way, knowing Drew Brees can come back, it's not a long term gig for Teddy Bridgewater. Mason Rudolph has a chance to say, "This is my team, and it's mine now." He has a chance to completely win over the city of Pittsburgh, and so I, I think, after talking through it with myself, you know, I didn't have, I have a bunch of notes, but I have no actual final verdict here. Um, Teddy Bridgewater has a better team to work with, yes. But Mason Rudolph has a better opportunity to make a team his own. So I think I might rather be Mason Rudolph right now than Teddy Bridgewater. There's something to be said for being the man. It, it, it's a, it's cool when you have—it's hard to come off the bench and then give it back. I've done it before. It's painful, and it's hard, and it's not fun. So um, I think I would rather be Mason Rudolph in this situation. Okay. John asked a question. It's absolutely hilarious. Um, it's John, just, if you're listening, I hope you, you probably are. You're a Patreon supporter. John, I love your question so much. It's hilarious. And it made me laugh out loud when I read it. The question is this, the pizza delivery guy shows up at your door. (laughs) It's Danny DeVito. (laughs) I love it. Like that, that's such an unnecessary thing, but I love that he put it in there. It's creative and funny. So this Danny, Danny DeVito, he's holding a large pizza. He tells you that you won a contest. You get a free pizza every day for the rest of your life. There's only one catch. <laughs> you have to honestly believe in your heart that the Patriots will go undefeated. Do you get the pizza or not? God, my gosh, I, I'm so proud of that. I, I have the best followers in the world. That's amazing. Because what John could have done, by the way. John could have just written the question, do you think the Patriots are going to go undefeated or not? But instead, he created a a creative universe where Danny DeVito shows up at my door with a pizza, and if I believe it in my heart of hearts, so it's the same question. It's a far more creative way to ask it, and John, I just appreciate that so much. John, um, man, I'm sorry. I don't get the pizza. I I do not get the pizza. I, I would love to have pizza the rest of my life. I would want the pizza. And now I'm allergic to dairy, so I probably couldn't eat the pizza. But um, I wouldn't get the pizza because I do not believe that the New England Patriots are going to go 16-0. I I just am too, I think, rational of a human. I don't know. Um, They play a stretch between week 9 until week 14. That's incredibly tough. They play week 9, the Ravens. Then they have a bye week. Week 11, they play the Eagles. Week Week 12, they play the Cowboys. Week 13, they play the Texans. And then week 14, the Chiefs go to Foxborough. And I don't think you can play that many talented teams in a row and win all five games. I just don't think it's possible. And so, yeah, I don't think the Patriots are going to go undefeated. Not to mention, by the way, and that stretch from about, you know, from November, from the first week of November until early December, they have a bunch of tough games, but they play two games in particular, the Ravens and the Chiefs, where they're playing teams that are potential playoff teams in the AFC they're not going to throw out everything they have against the Ravens and the Chiefs. It's just, that's not how the Patriots operate. What they do is they, they play a vanilla scheme, hope to win with their game plan, and then they collect everything on film. They, what they hope is that the Ravens and the Chiefs do everything they possibly can to win that game so that they can get those answers on film and say, aha, we'll make a bunch of adjustments to what you do. So I'm not saying the Patriots throw games early in the year. But I don't, I don't think they try to do everything they possibly can to win in those games either. They run vanilla schemes. They get it on film because the Patriots would rather beat you in the playoffs than beat you during the regular season. They don't care. They don't want to beat the Ravens and the Chiefs week 9 and week 14. They want to beat the Ravens and the Chiefs in the playoffs because the Patriots are trying to go to a Super Bowl. So no, in my heart of hearts, I do not believe that the Patriots are going to go 16-0. However, as a guy who loves football, it would be so fun. I just... And it would be good for my show. People would be angry. It would be It would just be a riot. It would be awesome. And so as a storyteller, yes, of course, I'm rooting for the Patriots to go 16-0. And by the way, people think I'm a Patriots fan. No. I just like good stories. And the Patriots every year provide me with all kinds of content to talk about. But are the Patriots going to go 16-0? I do not believe so. Okay, Daniel asked a question. Daniel says, after seeing Murray—he means Kyler Murray— at full speed for a few weeks. What is your opinion on his transition to the NFL from the college game, and are you worried that his situation with the Cardinals will lead him to having a shorter career or the development of bad habits due to frequently being behind and not having a great offensive line, etc.? Okay, um, man, Daniel, I I don't think Kyler Murray looks bad. I I actually am kind of. I mean, maybe I have a lot of patience. I think we should all have patience for rookie quarterbacks. But in the two games I've seen from Kyler Murray, he's actually playing pretty well. I mean, I, I'm impressed. He's not amazing. He's a rookie quarterback for sure. But week one, he led the Cardinals to a fourth quarter comeback, which took the game to overtime. Now, the game, they didn't win. The game was at, ended in a tie. But that really cool in the fourth quarter for Kyler Murray to step up the way he did week one. And the dude's throwing the ball all over the place. I mean, week one, I understand, by the way, this is the nature of Cliff Kingsbury's offense. It's an air raid offense. He's going to throw the ball a ton. But week one, Kyler Murray had 54 passing attempts. He was 29 for 54, two touchdowns, one interception. Week two against the Ravens had 40 passing attempts, 25 for 40, no touchdowns, no interceptions. But still, man, um, he's throwing the ball more than any rookie I've ever seen. He's throwing confidently. He can definitely hang in the NFL. He looks very capable as a quarterback and he's holding his own. I'm not really worried about his ability as a quarterback. I think he's going to steadily improve and you just got to be patient and let him grow because he, he looks very impressive to me. I don't think any other quarterback could step in and do what he's done on that offense. It, it, he looks really good. Here's my concern though with, I was talking to my dad about this. Um, you know, The question I wonder about Kyler Murray is what is his presence like in the locker room? There've been a lot of reports that he's quiet and non-communicative. Communicative, communicative. He, he doesn't talk a lot. Okay, that that's, I'm I'm too bad at English to understand and explain that. But my concern to me is not his plays. Does Kyler Murray have a lot of presence in the locker room? Is he a big leader that people follow? If he's not talking, he's that quiet guy in the corner. That's more concerning to me than him struggling on the field, which he's not. By the way, struggling on the field, he's been not great. He's you know the way he's ended drives haven't been incredibly great, and he could do a better job in the Reds zone stuff like that. But Kyler Murray's fine. Is he a leader? That's my question. Because he's so quiet. And I look back to the interview with Dan Patrick where just, man, doesn't talk. He just is. That interview with Dan Patrick was awkward and weird. Um, and again, I think if you know what I'm talking about, look, if you don't know what I'm talking about, look it up. But it's really, there's a weird interview with Dan Patrick where he doesn't say anything. And it's just a bad interview. And if Kyler Murray's a silent introvert, look, I'm an introvert. No one believes me when I say that. I don't like people very much. I don't like public. I'm just a... I'm a quiet guy who likes to stay home. And if Kyler Murray is a really quiet guy who, when he's with his team, isn't loud, and and not just loud, but doesn't have presence, that's a problem. I'm an introvert, but when I'm with people, I can turn it on and have presence. If Kyler Murray doesn't have presence around people, that's a concern, and that's a problem. And so um, that's my number one concern right now with Kyler Murray. It's silly. I don't know how to value that or judge that. I don't know. We'll just have to see as time goes on. But The quiet rumblings I've heard is that there's concern about Kyler Murray as a leader. The last question I want to talk about is from Byron. Byron goes, why do you wear number 13? Is it your favorite number or do you have another favorite number and why? So I talked about this, you know, first of all, um, I wore number 13 as my game jersey in college football. um, And I I wore number six in practice. I got to choose my number six. I wanted that because I look kind of like Baker Mayfield. Um, But I've never had a favorite number to me, a number is just a number. And actually, the reason why I wore thirteen was because I honestly didn't care. My coach said, "Do you have any preferences?" I said, "No, I don't. Just I want to be low maintenance and easy. Give me whatever's available." They gave me whatever was available. Uh, I I've never understood. You know, I guess it makes sense if you're like Antonio Brown or Tom Brady, or if you're a, a giant, incredibly famous athlete with millions of followers. It makes sense to want to consistently wear the same number because part of your brand is built around that number. But if you're in high school, if you're in college and, you know, unless like it makes if your brother dies and your brother wore number 44 and you want to wear number 44, dude, that makes sense. Wear your brother's number to honor him. But like if you don't have a reason and you just are like, I want 8 cuz 8 is cool. That's weird. I've never understood that. And I've never understood like, you know, Tom Brady's 12, so I want to wear 12. Like I kind of jokingly did with Baker Mayfield, but it was more of a joke because they called me Baker in, in our quarterback room. So I, I, I don't, I don't know. I just never, I've never been a guy who cared about what number I was because it doesn't matter. It's just a number. The jersey, as long as you have a jersey, you can play football. Playing the game is more important. So yeah, that's long answer. That's why I had 13 was simply because I didn't care what number I wore. Um, I do want to give a shout out to two people. That's all the questions I'm going to answer for today, but I am doing a topic on Friday. There's a couple things I just didn't make it to talk about today. I wasn't able to talk about Jalen Hurts. Uh, Daniel Jones was named the starting quarterback of the Giants. I want to sit on that for a little bit. On Friday, I want to do a film analysis of Luke Falk, the Jets' backup quarterback who had a great game on Monday Night Football. And then, Jack, I want to answer your question on Friday during Ask Zach. I want to talk about Utah football. If you don't know, I will be in Utah in a couple weeks for Washington State versus Utah, I'll be broadcasting out of Salt Lake City uh, with a the team there. Super cool. Very excited. I just got confirmation. I'm so excited. It'll be great. So I'll be in Utah in a couple weeks broadcasting for that. Um, and so, Jack, I can't wait to answer your question about Utah football on Friday. And then, uh, Gregert, I'm going to answer your question on Friday as well. It's about new NFL coaches I loved your guys' questions. I felt bad not answering them today, but I just I want to save them for Friday. I like your questions, though. So Jack and Gregert, if you're listening, you're, your time is coming. I love you guys. And Caleb, um, I forgot to even... I know you sent me one. Oh, Caleb Shuri, if you're listening, I will answer your question if I can, too. Um, but guys, I love you all so much. I am... This last couple of weeks, I don't want to say very much about what happened with my college football team. Uh, it was painful. It was hard. It's been a hard time uh I, I love the people there i love my friends love my teammates love my head coach uh he's a a great man and a great head coach and i have really uh i am proud of the way i conducted myself while i was a part of my football team and uh you know i shouldn't say anymore i don't want to i'm not comfortable it's i'm not ready to talk about it but um i love you guys who are listening it means a lot to me i thank you so very much and i hope you have a great night but i bum Bam, we are done.